My guest today is Craig Lamasters, who is the CEO of GXG. Craig, how are you today? Uh, doing well, Anthony. It's uh, I really appreciate you having me on today. Excited about our conversation. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to hearing about everything that you you do for people. I'm looking forward to hearing about your background. But instead of my my explaining it to our listeners, why don't you tell me tell me and them a little bit about yourself, your background, and what uh, you know keeps you excited in the day? Yeah, no, happy to. I um, and actually my background is pretty simple because I worked for the same company for 27 years. Um, a little bit unusual, I guess, by today's standards, but uh, worked for a company called Assurant. And um, the last 11 years that I was there. I had the good fortune of serving as the CEO, and I tell people all the time that the easiest way to look at it is I've, I think I had the best big company job really anybody could have. I uh, got to run a company that was uh, had a very supportive board of directors and got to do sort of professionally things that I always dreamed of and did a lot of global expansion work and, and um, introduced a lot of interesting new products and distribution. And um, yeah, so my background is really corporate and... Um, and then about three and a half years ago, did a bit of an odd thing right before I turned 55, um, told them I was going to leave at 55 and really just to pursue some other passions, which is what I'm doing now. Like you said, with GXG is, is I just thought that after having the good fortune of, of really working with or uh, working for a big company and, and hopefully having some success grow that company. Is there, was there a way to take some of the few things that I learned that I thought really worked and, and just share it with other leaders? Um, I, mean, I don't know about you and, and you've done a lot of interesting things as well. I just find when you're sitting in that leadership chair, there's a lot of wonderful things about it, but it's also a really hard job. And, and I think we bumped into some things at uh, Assurant and I did personally that I just wanted to share with others. So that's what I did. It's been about three years now since we uh, took off with uh, with GXG. And then from a personal standpoint, living in Atlanta, we um, headquartered in Atlanta. I've been fortunate to have a, just a wonderful team of younger folks that have joined us from some with some great backgrounds and, and are sharing the journey with me. And, um, and um, personally as well, I have four kids, three that are outgrown and, and working, thankfully, and one junior in high school. And my my wife is a uh, is a doctor, which uh, with everything going on in the world right now with uh, the health stuff, uh, interesting time to be in medicine. Um, so that's me. That's awesome. And then just to give people a, an idea of, of scope, you know, when you were with the shirt, yeah. you know, how many people were sort of in your purview or how many people were within the company as a whole? Yeah, so we, uh, the company is called Assurance Solutions, and we had about 7,000 people uh, worldwide, uh, about a $4 billion entity. Uh, so a nice sort of mid-cap size company. Um, as I mentioned, one of my passions was global expansion. We, we did a lot of work in the, in the extended service contract business. So we, we provided warranties for really any warrantable device. And, and when I left, I think we were in 27 countries. And, and again, that was a real passion because we were really a domestic only company really 10 years before that. So, you know, 300, 400,000 miles a year travel for 10 years. And we were in a lot of countries. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a nice size company. Mm. 
And so, you know, without giving away, you know, any of the, the secret sauce, you know, what were some of the, we started saying, you wanted to take the learnings that you've had and have brought them to senior leaders. You know, what are some of maybe two or three of the key learnings that you talk, uh, that you learned through Assurant either about how to like lead people or, you know, I find the international strategy piece. Um, think about what are some of those key takeaways that you wanted to really be able to bring to the marketplace in your, in your new company? Yeah, no, there, there was a couple that really resonated with me. And number one, and I know a lot of people talk about this, but on the people side, I always called it the thoroughbred strategy. I became really passionate about the idea of, you know, how do you actually go find the best people, hopefully help teach them and then ultimately retain them. So I started calling it the thoroughbred strategy. If you think about race, if you know about racehorses and, <laughs> and that industry, I mean, um, I always thought it was a great analogy because they're the hardest to find, they're the hardest to train, and quite frankly, they're the hardest to keep in the track, but they also tend to be the most successful. And that's just the visualization I just used for many, many years, and, and it worked for me. Um, and I, I think part of what I found was a lot of leaders don't do that because it's pretty hard, and we tend to avoid some of the hard stuff. So that was number one, is all of my people strategies was around thoroughbred, and then this that concept and the second thing that i that i was always passionate about was this topic around micromanaging or not and how we manage people and i had a really wise person teach me years ago that i started using this what he called a telescoping technique and you know how do you get really good at, at telescoping in and and really managing at the micro level things that have to get done and, and he always called it inspect what we expect and I always loved that and that was the easier part for me early on in management and I found with most people the harder part is the opposite how do we telescope back and actually unleash these thoroughbreds and let them run we don't want them to jump over the rail of the track but how do we let them run um, so that was sort of the second thing I got really excited about very granular about and then the third thing was the whole body of work that I stumbled on about 15 years ago, which Angela Duckworth, if you're familiar with her, just a really brilliant researcher at the University of Pennsylvania, started doing this research around grit and this very unique idea of where does passion and perseverance fall into this whole thing around performance and, quote, success. And I got obsessed with this, I got to tell you, Anthony. I mean, this really became a big deal for me. And what I found was it was a game changer on correlating people's success to this behavior, this thing called grit. And that became foundational for a lot of the stuff I did and, and that I still do at GXG. And then the fourth piece of the puzzle really came very late. And this is how I ended up buying GXG as a friend of mine started this concept was, which was, and it really was a missing link for me, was with those other three things in place, why was it still so hard when we tried to do new stuff, right? So when you think about your core business, really to grow long-term, you got to do new stuff. For me, it was global expansion. And then I got into all this digital transformation stuff and we were failing miserably at it. And what this guy came up with is this brilliant idea, super simple, but I thought it was just brilliant, which is what if we went and found other operators, not consultants, and again, I have nothing against the consulting world. I mean, I actually have a consulting firm now, but not traditional consulting in terms of academic help or thought leadership help. But what if we found operators that have actually done these hard things you're trying to do, and we just facilitated a format where these wise people, in essence, could 
help you. And, um, and that was sort of the fourth piece of the puzzle to me. And it was really that piece that I, I talk about the others and we help people with the other three pieces, but it's really this piece I call it unstuck is, you know, how, what's the, what's the secret to getting unstuck again, when we're moving from core to new stuff. And it was really this wisdom based methodology that I got really excited about that, that I literally went out and, you know, at, at a, at a, again, a little bit of a bizarre move to leave a really good job and go do this, but it's been a blast for the last three years. And my passion quite simply is just, just, uh, sharing it with whoever will listen and we've got a wonderful group of clients now that it's all organic that they tend to tell others about it because the methodology works and again I'm an operator I'm really not a, con a traditional consultant so I come at all of this work as an operator to say those jobs are really hard and when we have to grow in new areas it's really hard and I'm just hopeful and I've seen it now the last three years this methodology really helps people get unstuck and that's what I get excited about. That's awesome. So definitely, so we got the, the thoroughbred sort of approach for uh, teaching and retaining talent. They're like how to manage micromanagement, telescoping, which we could obviously unpack each one of those probably for a long <laughs> exactly. time. Um, the, the grit, so, you know, balancing that passion and, and perseverance and like looking at the correlation between success and, and the grit. And then, you know, the, the uh, I guess like the learning approach of looking at people yeah. who have been there and done that versus. That's right you know, versus like consultant. And that's, you know, for the podcast, that's why we were really excited to have you on because you're a guy who's done it. And that's why I was like asking like, how many people did you oversee? Because yeah, there's, you know, 7,000 people plus, plus the international expansion. And I don't know if you have an answer to this. Was, was there anything that like surprised you out of your, your tenure at your previous company that like surprised you about being a manager or about CEO that you like, you were sort of taken aback as you, as you reflect <laughs> on your career? Yeah, lots of stuff. I mean, I, I think as I reflect back now, um, it's, it's funny. Yeah, the reason I chuckle when you ask that, because I was actually recreating some of my early career as the CEO um, for some of the work we're doing. And I would say the way I would describe it, Anthony, is when I really thought back and I actually had my former CHRO help me recreate it, the cringe value factor was very high. And, and to look back at the stuff that I did the first two or three years was, was again, pretty cringeworthy. And again, not that I wasn't trying. I think we all try super hard at this. But um, so, yeah, there were, there's a lot of things that, um, I guess to put it a little different, that I would have done um, differently and and some of them are at the root of those first three things the thoroughbred the telescoping and the grit thing I, I was missing the boat on sort of all of those um, but I will tell you the one overarching thing that surprised me the most was how hard the job is um, and, and I say that because I think so many people aspire to have these leadership roles and I'm all for it. Obviously I did as well. Um, and thought it would be really fun, but I can tell you this, it sure looked a lot easier. Even one level below that, um, looked so much easier. And until you actually sit in that chair and, and quite candidly, I'll never forget my first day, uh, as CEO. And again, I'd been with the company for quite a while at that point, like 15 years. And, and had loved it. I mean, it had been a great organization for me and I was a chief operating officer, et cetera. And I came in the next day as CEO and something remarkable happened. I got on the elevator again, you know, most of the people in the building and headquarters in Atlanta and I get on the elevator and everybody stopped talking. 
like, wow, this is weird. And I literally turned around because I literally, I know most of the people in the elevator. I'm like, well, well what's, why is everybody being so quiet? And no one would even answer. So I get off on my floor and I go in and my longtime loyal assistant looked at me and she's like, I told her what happened. She's like, you don't get it, do you? I'm like, well, get what? <laughs> she said, well, they're looking at you now for their livelihood and their future and their families and that and she just starts hammering me with all this i'm like oh my you know let, let me go in my office and curl up in the fetal position and suck my thumb for a while i didn't know that was the job you know and, and again that probably sounds silly to you but it, it's very real i mean we don't really it's hard to be prepared for that so that would be my overarching one is it's, it's just harder i mean especially when you get stuck and i think um and, and last thing on this, when, I, when I've talked to so many, I've had just the privilege of speaking to hundreds of CEOs since I've been doing this the last three years. And as I tell my story, they kind of interrupt me and say, well, it's my story. <laughs> Don't hijack my story. And I'm like, well, I think it's everybody's story. And, and part of it is we're just afraid to admit it. I mean, this humility that we have to have just to say these are hard jobs and we get stuck when we're trying to grow outside of what we know. Uh, but that would be the one overarching thing. There were, I could give you, unfortunately, three hours of stuff that I really messed up. But uh, the, the, the overarching theme is this is a really hard job. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back to, to talk about some of that stuff. But I think it's, you know, as a theme in my career as an entrepreneur, it's really like that you do really, in fact, learn more from your mistakes than your successes. Oh, and the, absolutely. And I think uh, that's the key part about like the peer learning or people who have done it before. But like, out of it so two things i want yeah. like our listeners to try to take away is one is like sure. yes you've come out with these great methodologies and you're going to come out with a book soon but all of those methodologies and all of those approaches and the book is it all came from ultimately things that you weren't good at so i think like one thing to take away is compassion for yourself especially in new levels of leadership that you know yeah you're not yeah. expected to get it right and i think compassion for yourself but the other thing is that like you have to, you know, step into it and over time, you know, learn what you don't know. That's and that's right. actually what makes you a good leader. And then yeah. the other part is, you know, in this time of like, we're, you know, most likely in a recession right now, given when this podcast yeah. comes out. And as a CEO, people are looking to you for, for guidance and support. And that really, they do trust you with that livelihood. And I think that it's a, both a responsibility and an opportunity, but like, it's sort of your duty to be able to elevate yourself, to be able to support those people. So how have you found, you know, the transition from being a CEO of a, of a larger company, building your consulting practice, talking to, to CEOs, you know, what are some of the things that you find that are on their, like what's, what's on the top of their mind right now? Um, and, and top of like senior leadership that they're saying, hey, you know, these are the things that I'm, I'm looking for support with, uh, you know, whether it's what you've already described already or, or yeah. something above and beyond that. Yeah, no, I, I think, Anthony, the general theme that I find in almost all these conversations is this topic of growth. And now there's hundreds of leadership topics that are worthwhile. Um, so don't get me wrong on this. I think they're all super important. And there's tons of great consulting firms touching at a lot of component parts. But at the end of the day, when you're sitting in that chair, what we're ultimately responsible for is to grow the organization. And what I always start with is, and this is why the job is so hard in my, my, my thoughts now. I know we're on a podcast, so you have to visualize this. But if you think about a simple graph, 
with time and money. The expectation of a leader is, and I would call that the growth curve, that it's perfectly linear and it's always going up. Okay, so just picture that graph for a second, right? And again, I've shared this with lots of audiences and lots of people one-on-one the last three years, and no one's disagreed, is that we, by definition, have jobs, and I don't care if it's a public or a private company, it's usually the same graph, that are completely unrealistic. Just completely unrealistic that we're going to go do things as leaders, I don't care what the company is, and that the graph, the line of the graph is perfectly linear and it's always going up month after month, quarter after quarter. Because if we did that, there'd be no problem, right? I mean, shareholders would be happy, you know, private company investors would be happy, whatever. Um, And I say that because I think we miss that sometimes. This is why the job's so hard. And we'd be happy if that line was a little bit bumpy but it's not. And I usually draw the picture of the last hundred years of corporate earnings and it's pretty bumpy. And you just said it. I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll probably be in a recession. It's going to be super bumpy. That line's not going to be perfectly linear. So I think if we start with that foundation, which is that's why this job is really, really hard. And what's top of mind with leaders as I meet with them is how do we grow? Because all the other stuff is periphery to that. And and this is how, I mean, my simple definition of leadership is that, and again, tons of stuff leaders have to do, but the one thing that to me sits so far above everything else is we're there to make choices. And at the end of the day, that's our job. We have to make the final call. We have to make the choice. So the question just becomes, how do I make better choices and make them faster? And that's where I got so excited when I was introduced to this wisdom-based methodology is that's when the job's so lonely. If I'm sitting there, and, and in my case, I had to take a company into sort of the digital future. I mean, we were 100 years behind. I mean, we had bought a bunch of insurance companies, not super digital strat- savvy. And we had to get there. And we had to get there quickly. And guess what? I had myself included a group of hardworking senior leaders that had almost no knowledge and experience of how to do that. And yet we were the ones making the choices and trying to figure that out. And when I landed on this little model, that's what got me excited because that's what's top of mind of leaders is how do I go from point A to B? Right. And, 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 and it's, and what I found was missing and, and I use a simple definition of wisdom just so you know, it's, it's W equals K times E. So it's, it's this unique intersection of both knowledge and experience, but it has to be both. And so what I found when I was on my digital journey, I had tons of knowledge. I mean, we're paying consultants five, six million dollars a year, big company board loves it. Nothing wrong with that. It was tons of knowledge. I mean, I had decks, 300-page decks of knowledge, but I didn't have anybody that had ever done, not the experience that had actually gone and done what I needed to do. And so, again, when I bumped into this idea of what if we got three or four people in a room, and we call them advisory boards, but it's basically just a facilitated conversation with people that have done it, that actually had both. They had the knowledge and the experience. Could we possibly move faster to make a better choice? That's that's really is the business model. And for me, it worked so well that in eight months by doing this little, and it was very clunky back then. I mean, we've put a lot of process around it and hopefully made it super easy to use. Back then, it was just, I was the first client and it was super clunky, but it still worked and it blew me away. It was like, wow. And that's when we trademark this, the, the, the tagline is rapid cycle learning. Is This is just a faster way to learn. And, and, and again, this is not, 
a super complicated or sexy business model. It's not super high tech. It is literally going back to the beginning of education. If you think about how we were supposed to learn back then, it was wise people teaching less wise people. And again, there's lots of forms of education now, but we don't do a lot of that anymore. And again, with wisdom being defined as knowledge and experience. So super long answer, but I mean, that's what's ultimately, if you dig a little deeper, that's what everybody really cares about is how in the world am I going to grow? And if I'm growing, how do I sustain it? And it usually involves new stuff, right? And it's the new stuff that I get really excited about because that's where if you don't have that, that knowledge and experience in the room, and you're honest about whether you have it or not, if you don't have it, you're gonna struggle. You may still get there, but it just takes a long time. And go back to that graph. I don't know about you, but I find investors, shareholders, everybody's pretty impatient. Um, and I don't think that's ever changing. I think that's just the nature of the job. But that's what I, that's what I hear is, is you know, how do, how do we grow? And that's what I hope our little secret sauce is, is, is helping folks with. Cool, so let me, uh, I want to take a, you know, taking all of that, just going back to like the original learning making, uh -huh. you know, the decision making and going through that. And then actually, I mean, presumably it, it might not have been stated like the ego component of like listening yeah. to people who have been there and done that. And then also like having the fortitude to make those decisions. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this. What do you, actually do you find a difference between the CEOs of mid-cap organizations and the CEOs of, of example, the, the businesses from like one to $5 million as it relates to their sort of approach to learning or their willingness to, you know, be like, actually, I do yeah. have more to learn. Do you, have you noticed a difference between those two segments or anything in between? Yeah, super interesting question. I, let, let me come at it by saying the number one criteria that we need to see, or I need to see, I should say, for our methodology to work is a very high, what I would call humility quotient. I mean, there's no way around it. And you just said it, Anthony. I mean, you have to have a pretty decent level of humility to say, I've got to get to point B. And you know what? Me or my senior team probably doesn't have all the component parts, the knowledge and experience to get there. That takes a lot of humility. And then to have these people come in and these are really fun, but can be pretty brutal sessions because these, these outside operators we use are just people in our network that love to help, but they don't have any agenda. So they are completely unbiased and they can be brutally honest, which is usually what's missing in most companies. You know, we, we don't like to tell other people their babies are ugly, even though there's sometimes they're ugly babies, right? I'm not saying we should, but I use that story to build the headset for companies to be effective. We better be able to tell them the baby's ugly. Well, these outside operators do that, but you have to have a pretty high humility quotient to do that. And what I've seen is I would say the percentage of people that have the humility to do it is the same. It's kind of a human nature thing. And quite frankly, what's encouraging to me is once I, now that I've gotten a chance to meet so many wonderful CEOs and operators last three years doing this is once we talk about it a little bit, most people have the humility in there. Uh, a lot of times we see leaders, you know, we have to put on a little bit of the bravado, if you call it, to lead the organization or we think we need more than we probably do. And we're saying and doing things that, you know, probably aren't even our instinctive self in some cases. But it's not that hard to tear it down because 
the growth thing is really hard. Um, so I'm encouraged. Now, with that said, I mean, you know, there are probably 10 or 20% of the people we talk to that or I have the last three years that just believe they've got it all figured out and they don't need help. Yeah, of course. But I'm more encouraged by the larger percentage of leaders that once they understand what we're trying to do, actually the tension comes way down. And what I try to explain to them is, look, it just worked for me. I don't, you know, I was a sample of one. You know, now we've got these, you know, 85 examples in 12 industries. So you don't have to listen just to me. You can listen to other people, but this works. And, and at the end of the day, that's really all I care about is do we actually get results? If I'm stuck and unstuck has clarity around it, whether it's numbers or other metrics, that's what I care about because this methodology will work. And then if it doesn't, then you're going to know it because you're still stuck and then my stuff doesn't work. And that's what I get excited about testing it on the, all these different industries is it's working across a whole host of different challenges. Cause again, it's not my knowledge and experience. All we do is know how to go find the people that can get you unstuck. And we have a really cool methodology that we use, but it's not, that's, that's not even really it. It's this having the right wisdom in um, but I think, I think the humility crosses, I've been super encouraged and, and, you know, working with fortune 20 companies, some of the biggest companies and names you would know all the way down to, um, I love helping early stage companies with this. And again, if there's enough humility, then the methodology will work. Yeah. And I think that's the, the key piece as a, as a leader, you know, is that you need to have that humility. And so I think it's an interesting balance and dichotomy that, you know, in one way that no one's ever shown you how to do because you have those, ele those elevator moments where you're like, what's going on? This is brand new. Everybody's looking up to me. And then you have everybody's livelihood in your hands. And at the same time, you have to balance yeah. the, the willingness to not know. I know it and you don't, and, you, you, and it's okay to be vulnerable, but people love that. I mean, it's actually just the opposite of how we perceive it. And, and I think one of the advantages I've had, I don't think a lot of people that ran decent sized companies do this type of work kind of later. I mean, I get my, most of my friends tease me that they're all, you know, kind of playing golf and having fun and I have nothing against that. It's just kind of not my own personal makeup. And I, th th this is for me a great hobby plus a profession, but not a lot of people do it. And I think one advantage that I have is that I did sit in the chair a long time. So I, I do think I can relate to, to leaders that, and it's funny, I, I get to do a lot of talks now. And one of the first things I tell people is the perspective that I'm speaking from. You know, I don't think a lot of speakers do that anymore. It's like, well, where, where are you coming from on this? You know, you can be a thought leader, you can be an academic, you can be a consultant, whatever. And my perspective is I'm just an operator. <laughs> I don't have a lot of other fancy stuff. I just ran stuff and I think we did it pretty well. But I think that perspective is important because the second thing I tell them is, I'm coming at this because I think your job is really hard. And quite frankly, I don't think many people say that. I think people love to attack people in the corporate world and even smaller companies. It's like, oh, you, you know, you've got this great job and you make a bunch of money and, uh, and some of that might be true. 
right? And it is a great way to make a living, but it doesn't mean it's not hard. <laughs> so that's my perspective. And I think it reduces some of the tension is that I'm not here, you know, to attack you. We're not here to, you know, make anybody feel bad because we're not getting to our goals. It's to recognize it's hard. And I, I'm, pretty confident now that I will bet our business model on whatever you're stuck on. It's because there's a lack of knowledge and experience. And we actually built this really cool probability thing we do with people as we map out an ecosystem of how we think you could get unstuck. And we actually build this probability model to show with the current knowledge and experience in the organization, here's the probability of success. And it's a fun way to do it because I think it just shocks people because we tend to start out, you know, going, uh, you know, down this path of we got this. And I did it. I spent three years wasting a bunch of money on digital transformation until I found this because I thought we had it. It's like, why can't we do that? We've done a lot of other cool stuff. Well, all of a sudden, this probability model we built was based on those conversations I used to have. When I finally sort of did that in my mind, I'm looking around our boardroom going, wait a minute. Who in here has ever done any of this? I mean, we're the leadership team. And the answer was none of us. None of us. And, and what's fun, Anthony, is that's happening every day in boardrooms. It's happening every day in these meeting rooms we're having. We try to solve everything internally, and it's hard because we just don't have the knowledge and experience. Not that we're not trying. We're probably trying harder than we ever have. But we're just not getting there. That's why I love the whole rapid cycle learning, you know, sort of trademark because it does capture, you know, the excitement of this is we can do this much quicker if we have the right wisdom in the room. Mm, that's awesome. Well, obviously, you know, there's like the, the other balance of that con that you have to be confident in being able to do something. But like it, it going through your process and say like, very real, do we, does anybody have any experience around the table? Has anybody yes. been here done that? You know, and it's like, yeah, well, we can do that. I'm optimistic, but man, like, you know, yeah, you, yeah. Could, you could get some help and, and, and get it done faster. So, Greg, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Um, and, can, and, and just uh, oh, just so ahead. you know, yeah. that Anthony, it's, it's a fun exercise. And again, anybody can do it. Anything we do, you know, again, I love to help people, but anybody can do it. But if you take what you're, what you're stuck on and you just build an ecosystem, there's usually four or five component parts of it, right? And if you just draw bubbles, just picture an ecosystem, you draw bubbles, and then you just have an honest conversation with your leadership team. So, okay, to go do this bubble, Okay, whatever it might be, let's say it's web stuff, if it's digital, right? Just a quick, honest survey, right? How good are we at that? What is the probability we're going to get that right to get unstuck? And it's interesting when you do that with groups of people and once you get them going, they're super honest and they'll say, okay, well, probably 40%. We're okay at it. And then you just picture working around that ecosystem and then you add it all up and you come up with it. I've done this a lot the last three years and and most things that companies are stuck on, there's less than a 60% probability they can do it. And it's shocking to them. They sit there and then they want to debate the process. I'm like, well, this, you guys just answered. It's your white, I do it on whiteboard. Here's your whiteboard. It's your body of work. Were your answers wrong? Well, no. Okay, well, how do you feel about having a 60% chance of doing exactly what you told your board of directors you were going to do a year from now? You know, it's big. I call it the rut-row experience, to be technical. <laughs> it's like rut-row. <laughs> but anyway, it's a lot of fun, so I encourage everybody to do that.
that's awesome. I appreciate that. Well, I think everybody, you know, whether you're a CEO or senior leader can benefit by having some shared experience, putting a, a, a common Absolutely. framework around it and, and really like maximizing the chance of success and, and getting unstuck. So just as we finish up here, Craig, can you sure. tell us really quickly about the book and, and where people can get a hold of it and you in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So the book should be out in um, uh, late April, sometime in May, depending on what's going on with the, uh, uh, the all the health stuff and the economy, but it'll be done by the end of April. And the title of the book, shocking, is called Unstuck. And the tagline is how to unlock and activate the wisdom of others. Um, and then you can find me at gxg.co, C-O. Um, we have, a, I think, a really transparent website. We have lots of information information about our methodology. We have lots of fun uh, case studies out there, some video testimonials, and um, and then certainly um, track me down on LinkedIn um, if you want to have a conversation. Um, love to help people and love just to, again, have conversations about this stuff. And if there's any way we can help, we'd love to do that. But uh, most of all, my passion is, again, leaders are in hard, those are hard chairs we sit in. So I love, love helping folks that are, are are honest and humble about it that they're stuck on stuff and uh yeah i would love to have any conversations that would be helpful that's fantastic thank you craig i really appreciate you uh making time for us today it's been a really fun conversation and i i look forward to the next one yeah thank you anthony appreciate you having me on my guest today has been craig lamasters who is the ceo of gxg if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you have a CEO in your network that could benefit from building an ecosystem around them or they're transitioning into a new role, be sure to send them this podcast because I'm sure they will appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll catch you next time.